Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. So as I mentioned, here after Easter, this Apostles' Creed is what we're going to sort of be working our way through. And as, as I was thinking about it this week, I went to One Million Cups. Some of you know what One Million Cups is. Many of you don't. It's, uh, it's sort of like a local Shark Tank. If you've seen the TV sh- show Shark Tank where entrepreneurs will go on and they'll pitch their ideas, One Million Cups is sort of a small local version of that. It's in 100 cities around the country. Um, they meet at 9 a.m. Somebody provides free coffee and two people give their pitches. Now, it's not like Shark Tank where they're always looking for money. Sometimes they're looking for help. Sometimes they'll say, hey, I've got an idea for an app, but I have no idea how to program things. Somebody do that. Other people will be, hey, I'm doing this thing. Come join my Kickstarter. It's, it's all, all sorts of different things. Some of them, some of the ideas that are coming out of St. Pete are very, very fantastic. This Wednesday, I heard one that was not. Uh, this Wednesday, one of the two presenters... Um, said that he and the lab that he worked for in Hong Kong had um, developed something a thousand times smaller than nanotechnology and that if you purchased his device, it would provide all sorts of benefits. Um, If you held it next to a bottle of water, it would make the bottle of water better for you. Um, If you, and no lie, he said this, if you strap it using those little plastic straps, put one of these devices on your engine block, put one of them on the battery of your car, you will get 10 miles to the gallon more uh, per gallon, and you will have zero um, emissions, zero harmful emissions just by taping this thing. Uh, Not only that, if you wear it as a necklace, it will make you stronger. I mean, the benefits of this device that looked like a piece of plastic were staggering. Uh, And of course, whenever you would begin to ask this guy, well, you know, show me. He had a couple of parlor tricks where he would like push down on your arm and then he'd say, now hold my device. And he'd go, I mean, it was, it was not even the level of bad street magic. (laughs) And it was funny because you have this room filled with, with venture capitalists from here in St. Pete, with other entrepreneurs, with all sorts of people from across the St. Pete business and entrepreneurship community. And like, as soon as this guy is about three minutes in, there is this awkward sort of grin that sort of comes over the entire group there on Wednesday morning. And everybody's like trying to side-eye the person next to them like, is it, are you seeing this? Is this for real? You know, and a couple people were like, well, can I, can I test it my own way? He's like, oh, no, no, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. If you want to learn more about this, come to my seven-hour seminar. I'll have sign-ups afterwards. You can pay me to come to the seminar and learn exactly how this technology works. So afterwards, I was sitting there, and I was talking to one of my friends from One Million Cups, and his name is George. And George is an avowed uh, atheist. Um, George isn't like, yeah, I don't really believe in God. George George believes uh, that the problem with the world is that people believe in God. That's the fundamental problem he sees with the world. And if everybody would just stop believing in God, the world would be a much better place. We'd have no war. Everybody would, would hold hands and everything would be fine. And it was really awkward because George and I often have these sort of conversations um, after One Million Cups. Sometimes it's about the technology. He's a nerd. 
I'm a nerd. We will talk about nerdy things. But there's always this odd gap between George and I because he fundamentally thinks that I am the problem with the world. <laughs> and so afterwards, George kind of walks up. And we first, we knowingly grin at one another like, yeah, this guy. But there was this extra level this week as George and I talked because I could tell what George wanted to say so badly was, you know you're no better than this guy, right? You know that believing is God is equally as crazy as believing that taping a piece of plastic to your car battery will create zero emissions. I could just see that the only thing George was holding George back was the idea that if he does this, the social world around us would say that he was a total jerk. Right? The only thing that was holding him back was sort of the social constructs of being polite and not terrible in society. And so when we get together and we begin to look at the Apostles' Creed, we are starting from something that many people would say is crazy. Just the fact that we say that we believe in God, those of us who are Christians, is a starting point that many people see as crazy. But not only that, when we say not only do we believe in God, but we believe that this creed summarizes what we believe about God, that's like double bad. There was a philosopher years ago named Frederick Nietzsche, and he said, he said subscribing to a creed like the Apostles' Creed is intellectual suicide. He said if you believe something like this, you may as well throw your brain out the door. And yet here we are as Christians. Most of us here in this room still have our brains. Most. And we're saying that we believe this, that we believe in God. And not only do we believe in God, we believe in a certain God. Because as many people in the world around us in St. Pete say that they believe in God, for every one of them there's probably a different idea of who God is. right? And here we are all sitting together, standing together, saying the same thing, saying we believe in the same God, the God of the Bible, the God who is represented in the Apostles' Creed. And so one of the things that the Creed does for us, one of the reasons we believe in it, is because it keeps us in bounds. You see, all of us as humans have this tendency to want to overemphasize one thing and underemphasize another. We want to make a very big deal out of the sovereignty of God, about how strong God is. And maybe we don't want to talk so much about the Holy Spirit in our life. Or maybe our problem is just the opposite. We love to talk about the Holy Spirit being active in our lives, but talking about how big God is, well, we'd rather not talk about that. And one of the things the creed does for us is it helps keep us in bounds. It helps keep us balanced on what we believe. Uh, And the other thing that sort of to point out as we get started is that everybody has a creed. Everybody has a foundational belief. This is the things we believe. Now, some of us can say them out loud. Other people, it's just sort of whatever they say as they go along. When we say, I believe in the Apostles' Creed, we're not just saying that I'm giving intellectual assent to something, right? Like, yes, I believe the Loch Ness Monster was a hoax, right? I happen to believe the Loch Ness Monster was a hoax. Some of you may not. Some of you may be Bigfoot truthers. You may believe the truth is out there. And if you do, that's fine. But there's something different from when I say I believe in this to what we're saying when we say in the Apostles' Creed. Because when we say I believe, what we're saying is I put my trust in. 
When we say, I believe in the Apostles' Creed, we're saying, this is what I am putting my trust in. And so here's how sort of the sermon series is going to go as we work through this. We're going to take one little line from the Apostles' Creed each week, and we're going to talk about it. Now, one of the funny things about the Apostles' Creed is, if you look at the footnotes, the footnotes with all the Bible verses that are sort of packed into the Apostles' Creed are several times longer than the Apostles' Creed itself. Right? It's like, you you remember that textbook that you probably had senior year in college where there was this much text and that much footnotes beyond it? Right? Sometimes you've sort of had these books or maybe it's like a complex book about your trade where there's three lines of text at the top and 75 lines of footnotes beneath it. Right? Some of you guys who are in law school or graduated from law school, I can only assume that that's what every one of your books looks like. The Apostles' Creed has that same thing. And so what we're going to do is just sort of take one passage that really emphasizes what we have to say. And today that passage is Romans 8, 13 through 17. So what we're going to do is, as our tradition here at City Church is, is we're going to stand up as I read this passage. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. It'll be on the screen. Uh, It'll also, if you uh, wanted to look it up um, on a Bible app or in your Bible, you can do that. But let's stand up and hear Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So this morning, we're going to look at the very first line of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And one of the things as we read through the Creed, because it's one of those sort of texts with a little bit of text and a lot of footnotes, what that normally means is that it's a very dense text. And the Apostles' Creed is no different. And even with the first line, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, we see one of the great tensions of the Christian faith. When we say we believe in God as our Father and that God is Almighty, we sort of experience this tension that pulls at ourselves. This sort of, this tension between God being our loving Father, but then also God being Almighty, God being in control of all things, God being our authority. And so when we read through the Apostles' Creed, when we start with, I believe in God the Father Almighty, we're experiencing that pull. That pull of the authority of God, that pull of adoption by God. And what I want us to see as we think through this this morning is, is simply this, that every single one of us underestimates God's authority and God's love. We underestimate God's authority and God's love. And so when we say the creed, we are reminding ourselves not to do just that, not to underestimate the love of God and the authority of God. 
So when we say that we believe that God is almighty, what are we saying? What does that mean? One of the things that that means is that God is beyond us. That God is other. You see, a lot of times what we'd like to do is make God sensible. We'd like to make God understandable. But one of the things about God, since he is almighty, since he is beyond what we can know in some ways, he is greater and more untamable than we can imagine. I'd love to have a God who I could understand everything about. Wouldn't you? If you could understand everything about God, would that not be nice? But how small would that God be if you, even some of the more intelligent of you, could wrap your brain around God? How big is that God? He's not very big. And so when we say God is almighty, one of the things we're saying is he is bigger, he is more complex than we can imagine. But the other thing is that the, al- the word almighty, it's a kingly word. It's a word that talks about authority. So when we say that we believe that God is almighty, what we're saying is that he is an authority in our lives. He has authority over all things. He has the right to say what is right and wrong. He has the right to say what is just and unjust. Now here's the trouble. Just saying this goes against the grain of who we are. The the happy, hey, he was talking about a crazy guy who was taping plastic to his engine that we had just five minutes ago. All of a sudden, when I say God has the authority to call what's right and wrong, and God has the, all of a sudden the air, even in our church, is just sucked out of the room a little bit. Because we kind of, uh, we don't love that idea. No matter if we are Christians who have been Christians for a very long time, no matter if we're not Christian, no matter where we are on the spectrum, when we hear this idea that God is almighty over all things, we buck against that a little bit. Why? Because our sort of culture has hardwired us for autonomy. I am in charge of my life. I am the captain of my ship. I am the lord of my domain. I am autonomous. It's interesting, even the word autonomy means a rule unto itself. And that's how, that's how most of us live our lives. It's interesting in the past, I guess, six to eight months, sort of the, the topic that has been sort of bubbling up again and again and again is this idea of fake news. Right? No matter, no matter where your political opinions lie, right, all sort of all parts of the political expect, uh, spectrum point at other things and go fake news. That's not, that's not true. That's fake news. And then what's funny is people on the other side point at that and go, nah, y'all guys fake news. Right? And then people in the middle point at both sides and go, oh, y'all fake news. <laughs> and then everybody else points at, I mean, it's, it, right? We have this epidemic where everything that we don't believe is fake news. Here's what's interesting. Just even the the soil that gave birth to the age of fake news is the soil of autonomy. The tree of fake news grew out of the soil of autonomy. Why? Because I can decide what's true. 
If I am my own authority, I decide what's true and what is false. Which becomes very convenient when it comes to news. Because all of a sudden, if I am the authority, I can decide that's fake news. That reinforces what I believe. That's good news. And that's fake news. You see, when we are a law unto ourselves, when we are an authority in and of ourselves, we become the one who determines truth. And so the Apostles' Creed comes to us and says, No. No, you can't do that. You are not the final authority. You are not ultimately autonomous. God is the only one who is truly autonomous. God is the one who determines what is true and what is false. And so when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, we are saying something wildly countercultural. We are saying that we are willingly submitting ourselves to someone else's authority, which runs against the grain of all of us, whether we're a Christian or not a Christian. Because this autonomy strikes deep in our hearts. For those of us who are Christians, here's one of the ways that this comes out in our lives. Even as a Christian, my morality is often based on two things. Does this hurt me? Can I be self-righteous about this? Those are, at the end of the day as a Christian, oftentimes the two things I go back to. What I get really mad about, that other, the sins of other people that really bother me are, first of all, the ones that hurt me. If it doesn't hurt me, I kind of don't care. Right? Like, you know, oh, somebody was mean to you? I'm so sorry. Somebody was mean to me? Then God needs to come down on them. <laughs> My morality is often built on the things that hurt me and the things that I can be self-righteous about. How many times, for those of us who are Christians, has one of our, one of our friends come to us and said, um, I've been seeing this in your life. I've been seeing the, the way that you handle this in your life. And I don't think that's a helpful and good way to go about that. And how many times is our gut reflex this? Yeah, but at least I don't. Hey, I'm seeing the way that you treat this other person, and that's not good. Well, at least, at least I haven't resorted to physical violence. And we sort of take it to the extreme. What is that? At the end of the day, that is our self-righteousness. That is our trusting in ourself and our own power and our own authority to live well. Um, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, um, thank you, first of all, for coming. We always want City Church to be a church where people who are not believers can come and hear. But we also want it to be a church where people who are not believers hear the way that the gospel comes to them in their life. And one of the things that this passage and thinking about God as Almighty does is that it asks this question, it begs this question, what is your ultimate authority? If your ultimate authority is not the God of the Bible, what is it? Is it a scientific method? Is it a system of karma? Is it a system of chance? Something to reflect on. So most of us, well, 
All of us have struggles with God being almighty. But there's another piece of this passage. There's another piece of the Apostles' Creed that's really helpful. And it ties directly into the verse that we read out of Romans. We don't just believe in God Almighty. We believe in God the Father Almighty. See, one of the privileges of us as Christians, one of the privileges we have is that we have been adopted into God's family. That you and I, even though we buck against God's authority, even though our morality is based on what hurts us, even though our sort of natural programming, we're hardwired for autonomy, even though that is the case, God has lovingly adopted you and I into his family so that we get to call God Abba. Now, for many of us, that term Abba is not something that we recognize, right? I mean, honestly, most of us hear or see the word Abba, we think of that terrible 70s disco band that some of our parents listened to. (laughs) By the way, terrible historical footnote, did you know nobody in Abba ever spoke a word of English? Like they had like 10 number one hits in English. Not one of them spoke a word of English. They were just taught how to say these English words when they were singing. Anyway, that's relevant to nothing. But the word Abba is, it's a, it's a familial name. It's a pet name. It's, it's the name that you sort of cry out in your gut, right? It's, it's daddy. It's papa, Right? It's that sort of affectionate term. It's not just mother, it's mommy. And Paul says that those of us who are Christians have been adopted and have the privilege of not just calling God as father, but even more so being able to call God by a familial name, by a name of love, by a name of embrace. You see, when we remember that God is almighty, We remember that we don't trust him as such. When we hear that God is Father, we're reminded that we need God's love. And most of us underestimate how great it is. Most of us underestimate how amazing God's grace is. We think that God has forgiven us for a couple of things. But we need to be like the debtor. Jesus told a story of two debtors. One owed a king $500. One owed a king $5,000. The king forgave both of their debts. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Who loves the king more? And the disciples said, The guy that got forgiven for five grand. And Jesus says, Exactly. Nailed it. You see, the degree to which we are able to admit how broken we are is the degree to which we are going to experience God's love. You see, you and I, who are Christians, have been adopted into God's family. And I think one of the most helpful ways to think about this is by thinking about the difference between a a child in a family and an orphan. What does an orphan have to do? An orphan has to fight for everything they get. An orphan has to scrap to get every piece of what they have. An orphan has to beg. Right? Think of all of the sort of tropes in pop culture we have of sort of the, the Tiny Tim, the Oliver Twist, the Newsies, right? Whatever sort of trope you have in your mind of, the, of orphans, they're always people that are at the mercy of everyone else, begging, scrapping, fighting. 
Now think of the opposite trope. The children of the powerful. Whenever we see TV shows about the the kids of presidents, right? Do they have to fight for anything? No. Do they get to rely on their parents for anything in their lives? Yes. Can they just ask? You see, most of us live our lives as if we are orphaned by God. And yet if we are Christians, we are adopted by Him. We don't have to fight to prove our value. We don't have to fight to see and try to eke out meaning in our lives. We can trust that God is the one who gives us value. Not how good I've been this week. Not what my bank account says. Not what the title on my desk is. I don't have to fight to prove myself anymore because I have been adopted by the almighty king of the universe. So I can begin more and more to trust in him. You see, when we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, one of the things that we are saying is that I believe in the gospel because we're reminded by God's almightiness of our brokenness, of our tendency towards autonomy. And when we say we believe in God, the Father, we're reminded of the fact that because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he died, he took the curse that you and I deserved. He took the curse that separated us from God and he put it on himself the only innocent man who has lived, and he dies so that you and I can be truly adopted as the children of God. I love the way that John puts this. Behold the manner of love that God has lavished on us, that you and I can be called the sons and daughters of God, and we are. This is the lavishness of the love of God. He is not just saying, yes, you can come live in my house. He's not just saying, yeah, I guess I'll take care of you for now. He's saying, I am adopting you. Paul said in Romans that we are not just children. We're not just adopted, but we're made full heirs along with Christ. We're given all of the benefits that Christ deserved. All of the paradise that Jesus has coming for him in heaven is coming to those of us who are Christians. Despite the fact that we have lived autonomously. See, that is the good news of Jesus. That is the way that he takes our curse. So what does this mean for us today? I think many of us this morning are sort of caught between these two things. Some of us hear this, and we need to remember, we have a good sense of who God is. We have a good sense of how we have lived autonomously, but we have not stopped to reflect on the greatness of God's love for us, on his fatherly care for us. For some of us, this text is a comfort, a reminder of how good God is to us. But for others of us this morning, this text is a challenge. Because God is a real authority. Because he calls us to live in line with who he has said we are. And so some of us need to be comforted by God's fatherliness. Some of us need to be corrected by God's almightiness. But may whichever side of that we're on, this week we be pushed closer and closer to Jesus who dies for us, who takes the curse for us, and who makes us the sons and daughters of God.